Hey guys, at the YMCA Rebuild, we're in the business of reducing recidivism in Victoria, and in no way do we condone criminal activity discussed in these episodes. We support victims of crime and are committed to creating a safer community. Be advised, this episode contains stories of drug use and adult themes. How am I going to justify this money to anyone that I've made? So I was just like, you make it that way, you just spend it. There was points where I was making $30,000, $40,000 a day. How long would it take you to go through $20,000 or $40,000 of spending? That night, gone. Not even a pack of cigarettes when I was leaving Crown Casino. Welcome to A Time to Rebuild, the podcast that explores the impact of crime from incarceration to positive transformation and everything in between. Rebecca, welcome to the show. Thank you. So we actually were introduced to you by a previous guest, Mo. And in his episode, he spoke about he was it was really low and then he ended up going to this house. Um, and a lot of people at that house were taking drugs and and I guess that's where the story starts with you. So you you knew Mo. Yeah, I knew Mo from a young age. So we met when we were eighteen and we used to go out clubbing and stuff like that. Um and then he made contact with me again many years later. Um like, I didn't know why, I didn't understand. He wanted to come hang out. I'm thinking, oh, I don't know if my atmosphere is the best for this person, but he came anyway. And um, I guess my life to some people is, was very interesting. Very, um, it seems like fun from the outside at the start. You know, it's all carefree, but yeah, it's just like, I don't think it's the best house for you to, to be staying in or coming around. Um, and it obviously wasn't because it led him down the wrong path. But yeah, it was, um, the house was quite full on. Mm. It's uh, one of those places where it's just people come, go, come, go, come, go. Yeah. It's nonstop all the time. And um, we'll, get, we'll probably get back to coming back to that, that point mm. um, where, you, where we get to, that, to the house and what life was like then. But if we take it back a little bit, just in regards to your kind of upbringing and so forth, it'd be uh, good to just get a little bit of background mm. on you know, how, your, how your childhood was and so forth. So I had a really good childhood. So I was quite lucky. My parents were, you know, not rich, but they were quite comfortable. So they had their own businesses. So I always had my mum around. She always dropped us off, picked us up from school. We went to good schools. Um, it was very normal, very good upbringing. So it's not like that probably had anything to do with yeah. my choice in later in life. And that's interesting. So like you finished school or did Finished you? school. I worked in a law firm. I had a great job, had great friends. I just chose the wrong path. I went down the wrong way. So, and, and and the reason why that's interesting, because a lot of our listeners and so forth will all straight away jump to a lot of our guests come from poor social uh, economic backgrounds and so forth, but it's not always the case. And we know that firsthand from the work that we do. Um, so what would be really uh, interesting, like how does someone um, who, you know, has a good upbringing, has gone through school, is working in a law firm, life's going well, what leads you down that different path? Um, at the time, my uncle committed suicide, so he died. And I was very unhappy in my marriage. So I ended my marriage and then I started becoming very obsessed with looks and how I was and I started training at the gym and then just the wrong crowd. I just went the wrong way. So I used to do party drugs on the weekends, but then the party drugs become during the week and then I got to know the wrong people and before I knew it, I was caught up in something that I never expected. And... um how quickly did that escalate? Like, are we talking like quick. In really quick? Really quick, within a couple of months. 
So in a couple of months, you've gone from working in a law firm and life going well to suddenly, you know, you're doing party drugs and then it's leading to more during the week as well. Yep, and then it just gets, it just takes to meet that like one wrong person that does the more hardcore stuff and before you know it, you're in a tangle. You know, you start missing work because you're tired and, you know, it all becomes about the drug, not, not reality anymore. Do you think that um, personalities, certain personalities can, can do that? Like, is your personality an addictive personality or something? Or Extremely. So if I do something, I do it as hard as you can possibly do it. I'm just with everything, I'm like that. Because I think that would be interesting to people to see. How can, like, people be like, how can you just go from suddenly from this to that? And you're all in on that when and your I life do is going really well. Quickly. And I do And the terrible thing is I do everything well. That's my, my problem. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when I'm doing good, I'm doing great. And then when I want to do bad, I just do it really bad. So you succeeded really well yeah. at being a good drug taker. Yeah. Yes. And everything else after that. Yes. Yeah. So, um, so, so you're, 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 you know, you're, your behavior's escalated. You're, you're starting to use heavier drugs. You're starting to miss work and be late and so forth as well. So when... Do you, lose, do you lose your job or how does that all I, play out? I or resigned you, or keep in it? the okay. end. Um, not, nothing to do with drugs, but they saw my personality change. As much as you try and convince yourself that people don't know, they know. Yeah. You look different. You act different. You're, everything about you becomes different. Um, and they thought things were going on that weren't going on. And, you know, that was my excuse to be able to quit and get out. You know what I mean? So that was my, you know, my excuse to get out. It was the easiest way to do it. So yeah. it gave me that break to get out. And I did. And then um, before I knew it, I used to reception in brothels for a long time from when I was 18. I did it. And then I was doing that. And it's slowly, obviously, not the best place to be when you're taking drugs because a lot of other people take drugs. And I started hanging out with the wrong people. And then I chose to do the other side rather than the reception. And it all just went down from there. Right. So, so you know, like going back a little bit, what we? How did your parents see this as well? We we'll go into a little bit about. So yeah. with the with the receptioning, my mum did it for twenty five years. Yeah. So it was nothing to them. Yeah. Um. And I never, in all the time I worked for the ten years, ever expected to work as a working girl. It was always I never it never even crossed my mind. Yeah. Because I was never in the position that I had to. But once I the drugs become a problem, everything was an issue, and then my parents, I left home. I had no choice really. I thought, well. What am I going to do? How am I going to survive? How am I going to support a habit? How am I going to pay for my room? How am I going to pay for this? It was the easiest option. And when we're talking drugs, what are we talking? Like, how did, how did it it's, escalate from? What did it start with? And did it, where started did it go with, to? So it started with speed and, and ecstasy, like, you know, on weekends. Um, and then it progressed to ice. And then I did ice for quite a few years. And then once the GVH was my biggest downfall. That was where it, my life went really bad. Yeah. It got really messy. And... What were the drugs? What what did the drugs give you at the start? And then what did they like? It's because this is always interesting as well. Like at the start, party drugs and and, and it gave me and, confidence. Yeah. yeah, it gave me um, that person you always think you can be. You are on it because you just don't have that care factor. You don't have that um, that no shyness. So it brought out the person that you know. I thought that I wanted to be. I'd lost a lot of weight. I was looking better. It attracted men. So it brought all that attention that a woman really wants. So to me, it seemed glorious at the start. And then do you, can you even recall or do you even looking back now know when I kind of, did it switch then for of you? Of course. It switched into dependency. It switched into survival. And it took away everything then. So all the happiness, all the, the looks, it all went. Yeah. So, you know, it, you, 
once a drug becomes a bad habit, you know, it's everything else doesn't matter. All matters is when you're going to, how you're going to get the next and keep going. It's all about that. So you, everything you did it for, now it becomes the opposite. Yeah. You're no longer doing it for those reasons. And I'm really interested as well, Rebecca, like, so obviously you've moved from the reception in the brothel to, to you know, the other side, as you said, um, and your drug use is really, like, spiralled as well. Is there, a, is there a sense there then, do you get to a point where you just, one, relies on the other, but you're in a trapped kind of bubble, like the fact that the drugs, you're using the drugs, you, you, your work is paying for your drugs, the drugs are used to help you with the work. Is that correct? Correct. And it just becomes a vicious cycle. As much as you try yourself to convince yourself it's not, it's I could never work straight. Yeah. In reality, I just couldn't do it mentally. It's just not. It's not easy. It's not something that you know everyone can do either. Even on drugs, some people can't do it. It's a job that's um yeah. very, you know, only for certain girls. Um, but like it probably wasn't the drugs and the work weren't the big issue for me. It was once I started meeting the wrong people. Yeah. So I started, you know, I started dating someone who wasn't very good to date and that brought crime into my life because he used to do crime to to survive so that's that's the probably the dig- biggest downfall is once you start to meet the wrong people and you start to hang with the wrong people because you just so quickly it all just happens you don't even know it when you're on drugs one day is like one year yeah because you hang out with someone you know a normal person meets someone you meet them the next week for a coffee where you're with that person 24 7 straight away yeah. you don't sleep you don't so you get to know them. It's like knowing them for a year. So everything becomes very involved very quickly. And what about your old lifestyle? It kind of sounds like you, le- you leave a little bit out behind because I know like from people that get heavily, you know, um, into substance use and so forth, they they have this other side of their life, which is probably what was their positive side of life, which would have been friends, work colleagues, family. Does that all completely, did you still have connections there or do you completely? At the start, a lot of people tried to keep connections with me, um, but then it just became impossible because I didn't want to see them because I was no longer in a state that I wanted people to see me like that. It's, um, you become a different person. So as much as your friends want to, it's very hard. You, can, you can't really have a friendship with someone that's, you know, was living the life I was living because I was pretty full on. When I got into it, I got into it full on. When you talk about your um how you how you saw yourself was that was that really really difficult every day like just knowing how your life was and what you what you did you have what i'm it trying didn't to get bother at, me believe it or not did it until not? i got clean yeah i didn't i didn't say anything wrong with it i was living the life i wanted to live i was doing what i wanted to do and it didn't faze me while i was right no so escalating into the crime then and and being around that um where does that lead you to as well? Like, so do you start to get a bit more involved in the criminal activity side of things? Well, that's what happens because the person I was with didn't want me to do, obviously working. Yeah. Um, so they, they're like, you know, you've got to stop. And how do you make money like that doing a normal job? You can't. And you can't work a normal job because you're in no state to. So it's you've got to work out how you're going to make money. What's your specialty? What can you do? How much would would you be making on a weekly basis? Working as a working girl, yeah. probably anywhere between five and six thousand. Okay, mm. and compared to the drugs that you were buying, how much? Oh, it wasn't mostly spent on drugs. That's mm. the problem. It was just about more the partying. Yep, going yep. To crown casino and gambling. Yeah, <laughs> okay. <laughs> you never. I never gambled in my life until I started taking drugs. Yeah. What else is open at three in the morning? Mm. Yeah. Mm. They kind of go hand in hand in a they way. They do. They really do. Straight. I don't touch them. 
they don't interest me in any way whatsoever. That we hear that from a lot of lot of the young guys. It becomes like a mind. I don't know. You just don't think. You just watch the machine. You watch the machine, and no yeah. matter how much you win, you just keep pressing the button. Yeah, yeah. There's no point in winning. You just keep gambling. So, so did gambling become a yeah bad gam- habit for yeah, you? Yeah. yeah. Come to the point where like I started doing you know silly things to be able to go to pokies. And every dollar went in the pokies. When we spoke about addictive personalities, it's certainly coming true, isn't it? Because you've gone, you've got, you're going across drug and alcohol, and you're, you're even, even the, the behaviour, respecting behaviour, the work that you're doing, and then the gambling as well. Yeah. Talk us through a little bit then, um, if you can, um, in regards to where it leads for you after this. So where does the criminal activity? What part does that take for you um, and how do you then become more, you know, get in trouble with the law and, and, and so forth? At the start, my first troubles were because I put my hand up a lot for my ex. So I had no criminal history. I was clean slate. The first time they arrested me, they're like, is this even your name? Like, how can you possibly be going out with a person like this? Because he was very well known to police. You've got no, they said you're either very smart or very dumb. One of the two. And I said, I'm very dumb, I think. But yeah, so that's how my, my it started for me getting in trouble. Um, I put my hand up, put my hand up, put my hand up, and eventually putting your hand up, you're going to get in trouble. Um, I have to say the police were pretty good with me though. They could see that I was a good person. I was stuck in the wrong crowd. They were, But they can only give you so many chances and then they're like, you know. But for me, I, I, I can't steal from people. This is what they used to do. Break, I can't break into someone's home. I can't. It just. I know it sounds silly. Crime's crime. But I was more... Um, more into uh, bank stuff and things like that, which gets pretty full on. And so more fraud. Yeah. 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 Well, they call it obtaining property by deception these days. Do they? Yeah. There they don't go. charge you with fraud anymore. No, no so there you no. go. Mm. We've heard that a couple of times from people in regards to, um, you know, the crimes that they commit. And it's usually around there, you know, people that are um, dependent on drugs as well. Because, um, you know, they people really sometimes say, I wouldn't do that. But I... Because there's just something that makes me not have, to, I can't steal off someone or I can't inflict you yeah. know, violence. I took from banks. It was insured. It was, I could never like hurt someone's, but personally, financially. I know mm. it sounds weird, but well, there's some morals still there, I guess. It's, yeah, yeah, it's probably yeah. how you've grown up. Yeah, like I know. just couldn't take, you know, I couldn't go into someone's house and take their things. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Like behavior changes over time, but like morals and values and there's stuff certain like things that, yeah. they're kind of built in. For the long haul. Yeah, definitely, 100%. So, yeah, there's just certain things I just couldn't do. and But my thing was I was very good at what I did, so I made good money, and but that also attracts a lot of problems too. Lifestyle, like the money, does it, like you were saying, five to 6,000, but you're gambling as well. Like, does it get to a point where you just always want more? Yeah. I was could, you, could you go through 10? Like, could, was, you, could, you, could you get it up to that? Like, is that There was like, points where I was making $30,000, $40,000 a day. Right. Mm. $30,000 or $40,000 a day. How long would it take you to go through twenty or forty thousand dollars of spending? Mm. That night, gone. Not even a pack of cigarettes when I was leaving Crown Casino. Right. Just gambling. Just gambling. So I guess the value of money kind of loses. Well, I guess you. My brain always thought I made it in the wrong way, so I don't. It doesn't really matter, does it? Okay. You know, it's not hard-earned money. You never yeah. thought you'd ever going to retain it. Like you just thought this is it's money in, it's money out. What am I going to do with it? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. How am I going to justify this money to anyone that That's I made? Right. So I was just like, you make it that way, you just spend it. And that was the problem. So I attracted a lot of the wrong people because I always had lots of money. So I always had lots of people around me wanting to be around me, wanting to, because it was easy. They didn't have to do anything. You become a different person. Yeah. Yeah, you're like you're living like a different life, nearly a different persona. You feel like you're in Hollywood almost, like it's a movie. Yeah. 
It's fascinating. You get lost in it very easily, very quickly. But it never lasts like that though. So everything becomes harder. Once you learn how to do something, eventually the bank gets onto it or eventually someone works out that this is the loophole. So that loophole ends. You've got to find another loophole. It's, um, and then once it's not working, it's not working. It might, you might be able to work out something for weeks. So where did the loopholes stop and, uh, and where did it come undone for you? Um, I was at a hotel and I was already running from police and my luck, someone parked a stolen car at the front of the hotel and we're all looking out the window and the police saw me and that was it for me. They got me with five hotel rooms, copious amounts of laptops. Right. And that was my that was my downfall. That's when they said that's it. And um you go to custody you went to custody. Went into custody. I never thought I would. Yeah. So I always believed I always got bail. I always got bail. Not this time. No. How did I feel to you then? Well, like, was, was it devastated? Yeah. Absolute mess. Because I wasn't prepared. Well, who was ever prepared, I guess, to go to jail? Wasn't prepared. Didn't think I'd go in. My boyfriend was on the outside. I was on the inside. He normally always went to a jail. I didn't. You yeah. know, I got the bail and he went in. You know, they this time they made it very strict because normally if you're on bail and you're co-offenders, you can't see each other. They used to always let us visit each other. They didn't this time. They said, no, nah, like you need to no longer see each other. And it was very hard. Very hard. And talk me through that because you go into, you're remanded, obviously you're taken in. And, so went into the subs. Yeah. And you would obviously be um, still highly dependent on drugs. Highly, yes. So you're going into a, a, a like we talk with snap lockdowns, you're going to a snap um, withdrawal, like you're going straight in, straight in there as well. So how, talk us through that process and how are you trying to deal with all of this and that as well saying as a female we're very lucky we don't stay in those yucky sub cells for very long because one woman takes up a whole cell where they can fit how many men in one mm -hmm. um so you pretty quickly process through there after dame phyllis um i didn't even know what was going through my head i didn't i had no idea i'd never been to jail i'd never really been in trouble this all happened so quickly i was like I don't even know anyone in there. They're going, do you have trouble with anyone in jail? I said, I don't know who's in here to know if I have trouble with anyone in here. You know, I'd been in quite a bit of trouble on the outside. Things, bad things had happened. I'm thinking, I don't know. Like, I'm just going to have to wing this. And, mm. and that's what I had to do. I just had to just wing it. Just go with the flow and keep to myself as much as you possibly can because I don't, you know, don't want to get in trouble. But no, I don't, going through my head, I'm just thinking, I need to get out. How do I get out of here? Yeah. Yeah. But I was on remand, so I had no end date. Mm. No foreseeable end date. It's the worst. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah, that uh, uncertainty that uh, you just don't know what's around the corner. No, and all I needed was an address to get out, and every address I gave was not suitable because it was you know known to police or this. Okay. And I'm like, oh, Mum and Dad, please give me your address. They're like, Nope. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Nope. I'm like, Oh, that's all I needed was an address. And you're in communication with your parents. My mum is the only person I let come see me. Okay. I didn't let anyone else come see me. I didn't want my family to see me in there. I didn't want my son to see me in there. So I just, just my mum. And you don't really have friends when you're in jail. They don't exist because you don't have money anymore. This is, I was <laughs> going to get to that point as well. They don't but, exist. But you've, you've brought up already. Um, just stepping back a little bit, you also have a, a son. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. um, what age was he when you were incarcerated? Uh, well, 2014, he's 11 now. I'm not very good with maths. He was young, yeah, four. Four, yeah. yeah. So, um, and then you went to prison. So, so he, your mom visited, and not your son. Is that what you said? Yeah, I didn't want him to come no. in there. I don't didn't think it was a necessary uh, thing that he needed to know. He's worked it out now, though. He's very intelligent. No one's told him before, but he's worked out that mum's very different to 
other mums. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> mum's not the same. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what in, in prison then, talk us through like um, what it was like in the prison for the, the time that you were in there for. Can I say, you know, living the life that I was living, you know, not much sleep, always running around, always chasing a dollar. It's actually time to actually calm, relax, get off the drugs, mm. get a clear mind. You know, think about things and what you're doing and what you're going to do when you get out, whether you stick to it is another story. Yeah. But, yeah, it's it's it, for me it was probably a, a bit of a blessing in disguise because I, I didn't stop from the day I started. So it was for time for my body to wind down and think about things. When you were sitting there, did you go, well, I can't live, keep living like this? Or do you think, no. I'm going to do this a bit differently when I go out? I'm or? doing it differently. I'm yeah. doing it a bit smarter. Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, I didn't. I wasn't ready to stop. Yeah. Um, no matter what they gave me in jail time, I was not stopping. It wasn't my time yet. I still thought I had time to. The lifestyle, um, I'd have to say the drugs are probably not the hardest thing to give up. It's the lifestyle. It's the doing what you want, when you want, how you want. No, no, no one to answer to, no one to speak to. Like you do what you want at your own pace. Yeah. That's the hardest thing. And there's always something happening. Life to me is very boring outside of it. Yeah. So... How long did you spend in custody then? Uh, six months. Six months and then released to the community on order? On an order, yes. Yeah. How did it go going in back into the community? Um, I didn't last one day. I yeah. literally went out and off I went again. Didn't even do one thing in my order. Not one day of my order. Off I went. It's interesting though, isn't it? Because, you know, um, a lot of people when they go to prisons have a similar view of like when, when their life is really hectic that they, they find it as a place where they can just like reset a little bit or at least look after themselves. It's a force like looking after themselves, but they do that. Um, but then when release, you have just two mindsets. There's one like, I don't want to be back here. I, I want to change. Or the other one is, I'm not ready to. And obviously you're in that second category. You're not ready to when you're, you're straight out and you're straight back to it. Um, what happened when you went to custody with your son? Did he, did, did, you, did you lose custody of your son no so my son always stayed with my mum and dad so when I moved out from day one yeah I never took him with me because right, I knew dead. what I was going to be doing was not anything shouldn't be near him so he was always with them they didn't have legal custody though so I willingly signed over so I didn't fight the battle or anything like that I willingly because I knew it was the best thing for him and I didn't want him to end up obviously in the system so yeah and would you see him when you were like would you see him regularly even when you were like not in a very good when state? i was in a really bad state very i saw him but not regularly yeah. i just couldn't get i just couldn't get there no matter how hard you try that day you've planned to get there or you try and get yourself all organized something happens that you don't make it there's this kind of lore to this lifestyle and and and, and you're living it and all that and there's this other side of it where you know you're not having kind of your relationship with your son and so forth like that so do you ever, did you ever in them times have their moments and think, what, what's, what am I doing? Like, yes. like, how rich is that lifestyle when, when the biggest value that you have is here, but you don't have it? And that's the thing. It's a, you think to yourself, how do I think like this? Yeah. Why does my brain work like this that I choose to go and do this when I have a child sitting at home? Like, it's, I don't even know. I can't even explain why your brain thinks like that. Yeah. What? Because there's nothing great about it at the end of the day. But at the time, it seems like everything else is more important. Everything else is more important. And and you don't want to face reality either. And that's the key, isn't it? Like you're living, I think that for, for listeners as well, you're, you're not living a normal lifestyle. You're living in, re, in a total, reality is gone, like some ways. It's just completely a facade and it's, it's just something that you're in. And, and you just keep living it. <laughs>
Mick. Mac, what's on your mind? Uh, my wife's furious at me. Again? Yeah, again. What have you done this time? Uh, we don't have a chopping board. This is the thing. Right. So I'm just straight on the counter. On your marble. On your good marble. Your Italian marble. Marble? Granite. <laughs> Not sure yet. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, I'm making a complete mess. Well, you know what? What's that? I can, I'm the answer to all your problems. You have been so far. And I tell you, it's not going to stop here. We have an amazing range of chopping boards. We have um, cheese boards, chopping boards, different sizes that will fit that marble countertop that you are so badly destroying at the moment. You're going to save my marriage. I am going to save your marriage yet again. And here's the thing. These chopping boards, if you go to our website, www.ymcarebuild.org.au, anyone can buy them. And here's the kicker. If we sell seven chopping boards per week, we create one job for a young person. Seven chopping boards, nothing. But the impact, massive. So if you're like you, Mac, and you're destroying countertops, and your marriage is on the line because you haven't got a chopping board, well, I tell you, rebuild, that's where you get it. You know what? We do a lot more than just help young people in the justice system. I'd like to think so. We're helping relationships. Screw Dr. Phil. <laughs> so when you get out, you are continuing to live this lifestyle. Um, and what happens from that point on? Like, do you, How long is it? What, what happens when you're released immediately and then maybe going through the next couple of months? I, I, so I just went straight back to what I was doing. Um, I didn't stop. Nothing, I think, was going to stop me. But I was very lucky. I never got incarcerated again. So I got out and... I kept doing what I was doing. I got caught doing little things here and there and until eventually they, um, I got involved in something quite quite heavy and they said to me, well, you were looking at two years and I went, oh, my heart stopped and I went, what am I going to do? And I met a boy and we, you know, we were dating and stuff and we, I went on the run. That was it. I went into state and right. got clean. Mm. So you went on the run and got clean. Yeah. And you were living in a different state. Yeah. And then you had pending charges. You had a warrant. Yeah. Yeah. And what happened there? Like, how long were you on the run? Like, did you? Nearly two years. Two years? Nearly two years. Um, But I was only clean probably 12 months of those two years. So I was on the run in Melbourne. Um, And then it just started getting too hard. They were looking for me everywhere. So I went into state, got clean and that. They were still looking for me. They were driving my parents bananas. And I was going crazy, to be honest, into state because I couldn't go anywhere. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't. I was just locked in like a room. That's all like I really could do. And so I decided to come back, hand myself in, which I did. They gave me bail and um, they gave me another cor- corrections order, believe it or not. Because I, I did urines for the whole 12 months to prove that I'd been clean for 12 months. Right. Proves that I was, you know, I'd changed my life. But being in Melbourne didn't last long. And were you in contact with your parents and all that when you were on the run and stuff like yeah. that? Yeah, yeah. You were in contact yeah. with people yeah. in Victoria yeah. all the time? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. The police had the weirdest sightings. I was in the weirdest places, supposedly. <laughs> And what were you doing um, financially? Uh, so my partner, at the time he worked, yeah. so he was a bricklayer. So we got by by his wages. And did you move around a lot or were you using like a one? Yeah. yeah. Didn't stay anywhere more than three months. Move, three months, move. Just in one state or in multiple well, states? Well, no, that's my, in Perth. We ended, up, we ended up, they found me in Adelaide. Yeah. So then we went to Perth and they, we were all right there. How is life on the run? It's crap. It's yeah. not fun. Just because I was very well known. I had bright red hair. You couldn't miss me from a mile away. So I dyed my hair black to try and hide myself a little bit. 
and that it's not fun. It's a constant worry. Is that a cop car? Is that a cop car? Is that a police officer? Yeah. Mm. I didn't end up leaving my apartment in the end. And that's why I said I have to go back home because I can't live like this. I might as well be in jail. I'm just living in a box. Mm. So you were willing to face, you were willing to come back and, and face the consequences and, and start your life that way again. And that would, if that was incarceration, then so be it. Well, I had 12 months of clean thinking. So yeah, yeah the brain was thinking a lot better by then. And I said, you know, I've had, I'm going to have to deal with it one day. I'm yeah. not going to be able to do it forever on the run like this. And I said, it's better sooner than later. So I called the police and said, I'm coming back and I'll be handing myself in. Just give me one night with my son and I'll, because I thought that was it. I thought I was yeah. going, I didn't think I was going to get bail. I thought that was it. I was gone. But no, they gave me another chance. So they gave you another chance. They gave you, they, so you, you came back and you were clean then obviously for 12 months before yep. you came back. Yep. So you, you, you got, that's part of your life sorted. You're, you're clean living, you're thinking cleanly and you come back and you get an, you get an order. Go back on an order? Yeah, go back on another order. Um, and it doesn't take long until, because my, my ex-partner used to also take drugs until we both fell back in the hole. Right. And it got really bad that time. Yeah. I didn't do, I didn't do crime though. Um, but Oh, not real bad stuff. Just yeah, yeah. <laughs> little things, um, and yeah, just a constant on and off, and that's what was doing it really hard for me. So I would stay clean. I didn't have an issue with being clean when I was with my partner, but my partner kept relapsing. So right. I, I would relapse too because I just couldn't deal with him when he was on drugs, and I'm not. Yeah. So, and it was just a constant battle. And what drugs are we talking now at this stage? Just ice. Just ice. Yeah, he would never let me touch a JHB. Yeah, he's the one that got me. Like he's the one that like stopped me from taking it. Yep. He just said, no more. Like, you're going to die. Yeah. It's funny you say that, like, because community perceptions of drugs, they hold ice as the number one. I'm telling you now, these days, GHB is the number mm. one. Mm. It's um, pretty much everyone that's on the ice is on it. Yeah. It's a guaranteed high. That's why. It's like walking a tightrope, I guess. Cause it is. It's, once it's, you're on the ice, so it just, yeah. I, in the end, I used to inject and everything and it just, yep. just did nothing. Mm. It, was, it no longer served a purpose at all. Do you look back and you know, do you look back and now because um, we'll talk about where you are at the moment as well. We'll get to where you where you're going really well now and, and where life is well. So we you're back you you you're back in Melbourne, you're using again, um sporadically on and off, as you say, and, and that as well. But um so you're on an order. You breached that? Yeah. For me it was more they wanted me to do rehabilitation. Right. Um and community hours. So I finished all the rehabilitation side of it, but I didn't finish the hours. But because I'd started working full time, they just converted the last of my hours to a fine. Yeah. Hmm. So where is it, Rebecca, that it switches here? Like where do we get to the point where you, you just go, enough is enough. Like I've got to change again. Like my I've, ex. Yeah. He's the one that he really snapped me out of it. So he just said enough is enough. Like no more. Can't do it anymore. And I was happy. Like being with him made me happy. So I didn't need it. 12 months now. 12 months ago. We're not together anymore, but everything's well. Everything's yeah. good. So when you broke up and all that, usually that would be, would that not be a trigger point to maybe to go, ah, uh, screw it and use again? Or was it the opposite this time you go, you know what, I've come this back. Opposite, because every other time it failed. Yeah. I'd use and go back. Yeah. <laughs> go back to a, a relationship that, you know, as, as much as we loved each other, we weren't good for each other. We're very yeah. toxic for each other. So it's, yeah. I went, you know what, it's same actions, same results. You've got to, you know, change the actions to get a different result. So... So as you're getting older, you're getting more tired of like the, like everything that it was that you had. Now it couldn't be, it couldn't, couldn't, be do it. couldn't be the worst thing ever to you now because the people listening are thinking that's you know, which is a interesting point. Like the people listening will be thinking, God, that sounds like you're saying like I lived a lifestyle like this and so forth. But really, when you look back on it, like that could be the worst thing. Now you'd you would never want to be ever ever in that and that 
that was something that looked one way but actually was the other. And that's the problem. So someone like Mo himself, yeah. on the outside, it looks like I'm living the glorious life. It's the best, all this money, all these people, all these drugs, but it's 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 full on. It's you know, you constantly got people who want what you have, they want to take it. You're dealing with absolute idiots mm. all the time. It's not it's not easy. Where are you at now in life? Like what's what like so you've yeah, you're clean twelve months, you've got a job, you um see have you see your son yep. regularly? Yes, all yep. the time. Yeah. Pretty much every night. So. And how's that relationship now? It's grown a lot, but it's obviously still not, you know, the best mother and daughter, uh, mother and daughter, <laughs> mother and son relationship that you can have. But, you know, it's a lot better than what it was. You know, it's, I probably, for my son, it was a very long time. So it's been 10 years that he pretty much his whole childhood, I haven't been around much. I've been there, but coming, going, coming, going, very confusing for him to understand why, you know, it's like that. So it's hard for him. So he's got a great bond with my mum and it is what it is. You know, he wants to stay there. So, Yeah. And what's important in your life now? Like, what's For what's me at the moment, I'm, I'll be quite honest, I'm still probably very fresh in the sense that I'm still very lost. I'm still finding my way, deciding what I want to do with my life. And it's hard too because you're like most people at my age, you know, they've got it down pat what they're doing. I'm, I'm just working it out still, so. It's, 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 you know, for me, I don't know what the future brings. I don't know where I'm going to be in 10 years. But as long as I keep doing what I'm doing, I should be all right. Um, I speak a bit about stuff called transferable skills. Um, and it kind of dawns me a little bit that you've probably got a lot of transferable skills. Because you obviously, you know, smart what you do. And, and you know, you, your criminal activity, unfortunately, your smarts were good for that in some ways. But, you know, it seems like that you've got a lot going for you that you could channel into other ways mm. trying to find what they are now that's the thing make sure they're legal as well um but yeah i feel that you know that you've got a bit there that you can c continue to explore um as well um what's the goals for the next like i know you say you don't know where you want to go but like have you got any short-term goals what's like the next six to twelve months look six for to twelve months i'm hoping to just be in my own house rather than shared at the moment i'm in shared because that's what you can afford um i definitely want to progress in my career but it's very hard because of criminal history so i can only do so much it holds you back a lot that's why now i think to myself like why did i mm. why did i do it but you know it is what it is so you just got to take it as a grain of salt and keep going but yeah, I, I really love being in community health though. I miss, I'm in real estate now. I was in community health. Um, so maybe I'm going to go back there and maybe go further with it. Hmm. Maybe do some courses. And yeah. What was it about community health that you enjoyed? I love the fact that I knew most of the people and they walk in and go, what are you doing here? Why do you have a job? And it's, it's good to, I think it's refreshing to let them know that it's possible. You can do it. Like if you really want, you can change your life and you can go somewhere with it. And it doesn't have to always be bad. Yeah. Yeah. There's possibilities. You just got it. It's hard work. Don't get me wrong. Like it's not, I'll never say it's easy. I've fallen over that many times, but you just got to pick yourself up and keep going though and not, not dwell on the mistake and just move forward. And we help a lot of people with employment. And that's what we do in, in our social enterprise rebuild and also in the bridge project as well for many years. And, you know, speak to a lot of employers um, about giving people an opportunity. Um, it sounds like you had employers that gave you an opportunity and have you got full disclosure on your background, yeah? Yeah, well, I found with myself it's just easier. I think hiding it shows that you haven't changed, whereas once you're quite open with who you were and what you've been through, it's um, 
it's a lot more easier. I just find it's um, I don't want someone to find out later and then go, oh, who's this person? Whereas if they know straight away and it also educated a lot of the girls that I worked with. So even though they worked in community health, none of them have experienced what most people go to community health centers for where I had. So they were able to ask me a lot of questions or allowed to ask even like the needle and syringe program. They were able to ask me questions because I've, I've been there. I've done that. I've used, I can give you answers that, you know, other people probably can't give. So, and it made people a lot easier to speak to me because they knew that I was on their level. Yeah. That I wouldn't judge them, that I wouldn't think of anything bad about them because I've been there. I've done that. It's not, you know, nothing to be ashamed of. It's, it happens. And it's good that the, it's like credit to the employers, you know, um, for, you know, understanding that, you know, as we say to other employers, the person that they see in front of them in that moment isn't the person like, the, the person that was before them, you know? So, like, it's not, in a sense, it's the same person, but meaning that what they've done previously doesn't mean that they're going to do that again. There could and be I've, a chance, I've got a hefty rap sheet. It's not like I've got, yeah. like, a, mine's pages and pages and pages and pages. So when my criminal, I remember we did our criminal check. There was me and another girl they hired. Hers came back the next day and we're waiting for, like, two weeks. So I'm like, oh. You just come back in a, in a binder. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, and then book. they sat down and they said, you know, like, we still want to give you a go, like, it seems that you've changed your life around and that's what we're about. We're about second chances, so. What did that mean to you as well when they said they would give you a go? Like, did you feel that, they, that you weren't going to get that? I, I honestly didn't think. I thought when they, because they knew I had a criminal history, but I thought once they read the charges, they're going to be like, this girl doesn't look like what she Yeah. <laughs> On paper, she's a completely different person. And, and I am. Like, it's, it's that person that, you know, 10 years of my life, I was somebody that, you know, I don't think I could be that person again ever. It's yeah. a quite a you gotta be quite um cold and quite cut off completely emotionally you can't just be like that and you would say you're not that person no no not now 100 percent not but you probably weren't anyway before you probably just went do you think that you were more of that or or the actual that 10 years just you were a different person you did what you did how you had to go about it and so forth yeah but behind all that the person that we have sitting in front of us today was always there yeah, I guess, you know, you can say that, but uh, I look back now and I think, who was it? Mm. Who is that person? Because I was never like that. I was always such a soft, you know, quiet, very um, anxiety person. And I just wasn't back then. I just didn't care. There was no care factor. There was no worry. There was no what the consequence was. I didn't care who it was, who you are. Just, I did what I did. And... You know, with any kind of substance use or any kind of long-term kind of drug habits and so forth as well, like you're still working on yourself. Yeah, it's still a, still a challenge. I think it's a challenge for the rest of your life, especially yeah. when um, I, I, I got so well known in the scene that everywhere I go, I run into somebody that knows me. So it's very hard, you know, in that sense that I don't live that life anymore. I don't. Some people don't get it. They insist on like, oh, I don't. It's not interested. But it just takes that one bad day, and that's what's happened before. That one bad day, that one bad moment, you think, oh, yeah, why not? Just today. But and what stops you now? Now, I've just, I, I've done it so many times now that I'm going to just do that one day, and it's never. When I do one day, it just doesn't stop. It goes for months on end. It's just like, it's, I know where, where it's going to end up, and I don't want to end up in jail again, and I don't want to end up, you know, living a life where you don't know where you're going to live the next day, or you don't know where you're going to get money the next day. I'm over it. I'm too old. <laughs> Had enough. <laughs> what would you say to any listeners here, any parents um, who kids could be 
living the same or similar lifestyle from what they see or what they listen to here that you were living, what advice would you give? Don't give up, but don't be annoying either. I found the more my parents pushed, the more I moved away um, because I didn't want to hear it. Like I wanted to be in their presence, but I didn't want to be told either. Like we already know. I knew what I was doing wrong. I knew what was happening. Them going on about it wouldn't fix it. Just let them enjoy the time that they do spend next to you. Yeah. Let them just be there in that moment and let them enjoy it um, because it will make them come around a lot more. It will make them be around a lot more, which means it's a lot more time out of the scene and away from the drugs. So let them enjoy. And you have a good relationship with your parents now? Um, yeah, With my father, yes. My mother probably not so much. She's a bit more um, over it, I think. You know, I put them through a lot in, in the 10 years, a lot. You know, missing for months on end and they didn't know where I was, what I was doing. If I was alive, they've probably been missing numerous times because I just go off the grid. Because mm. I could. I just did. That was my real bad times, you know, when I was just in no state to be seeing family or even speaking to them. So, Do you see it through their eyes sometimes though? Can you see why they've... Like, oh, why, of course. Yeah, yeah. And my mum's more of the, the cold-hearted sort of, you know, love. That she, that's just my mum. My dad, you know, he used to be like that, but he's become very soft over the years as he's gotten older. He's more like just worries about me and just gets concerned. Because they, they see my changes in my behaviour and they think, oh, is she going to again? And don't get me wrong, there's times where it comes close where I think to myself, oh, it's just easier, but then you remind yourself it's not. <laughs> Yeah. You think that right now, that's your, your addiction side trying to convince you that it's all okay. There's a reason to do it. Yeah. And you have, a, I suppose, you have a, a son who's, you know, needs his mum. Yeah. And, and, and that's the thing. Like, it, it's been so hard for him because I've come and gone so much. Like, I've got clean, I've come home, I've gone, I've gone again, come. For him, it's, you know, it's hard. He just doesn't know where his mum's going to be all the time. It'd be a battle as well for you. And I, I'm, I'm like, I can only imagine this, but like, you have an out sometimes, right? Because when you're having a hard day, correct me if I'm wrong in this one, like people expect it of you sometimes to relapse. So it's just easy if you go, well, this is what they expect. I'll just give them what they expect because this is who I am. It is. And, so, and that's what my answer used to be. That this is who I am. This is how I deal. This is what I do. I self-medicate. I don't, you know, I don't want to deal with my issues. What issues they are, who knows? That's the problem. My parents used to always say, why do you do it? I said, if I knew the answer, I wouldn't be doing it, would I? Mm. Like I could, I'd fix the problem. I don't know what the problem is. I don't know why I go back. I don't know what causes it. It's like a switch in the brain. It's an instant decision. But you know before you're going to do it. It's hilarious because you pack a bag, this, that, like you're going for three days. You only meant you're going for coffee. You mm. are subconsciously already prepared to go and do what you're going to do. Mm. You know before you're doing it. So what's your life now? Um, what do you do in your life to fill up your time? Life is very quiet now. Um, I try not to do too much. Um, I'm just, I'm at that point where I'm, you know, obviously been clean for so long, but I'm still very cautious. So I don't like to go out drinking because it can cause me to, if I drink that little bit too much, the brain doesn't think properly and you go and do something silly. So I'm very cautious as to what I do, where I go, who I see. So it's more just about probably family, home. I'm home a lot. Mm. I enjoy my own company. And you have a connection with friends again? Have you reconnected with other ones or are you just, that's something that you just... You my know? old friends find me very hard to... Um, there's nothing in common anymore. So they don't understand the life I've lived, what I've been through. And then obviously my old friends from drug scene are not the type that you want to be hanging out with because we no longer have anything in common either. The only common denominator was drugs. Yeah. It's not so much glamour. 
Yeah. No. And it's not so much connection and it's not so much no. uh, people looking after you. It's, it's quite... It's all it, about yourself. Yeah. How you can... um, And that's why I, I didn't do very well because I wasn't that type of person. I was always very giving, very, yeah. you know, whatever I had, everyone had. And yes, it doesn't come back though ever. No, and that's the thing you say when you're in prison, um, you find out a lot about who your friends are. Was that the case for you? No one. No yeah. one. Not one person comes for me. Not, even, not one. Just my mum. That's it. But when you got out, everyone wanted to see you again? Yeah. <laughs> yes. How you been? I couldn't get there. I couldn't. Oh. Just, yeah. Excuses. And you convince yourself, oh, yeah, you know, they were going to be there for me. And off I went again. I didn't even last one night at my parents' house. Yeah. There's another thing as well with people, you know, um, if you're using and you're clean or you're away from that scene as well and people are deep in it, they kind of like to see, they, you know, they kind of like you to be back at their level a little bit. You know? Oh, yeah, 100%. Not that, they, not that it's malicious or no. intentional. It's just that they think that's what you want or that's where you should be or that's where it's hard to see someone change. Mm. I still have heaps of people that message me. Probably the biggest downfall for me is social media. I shouldn't have it. Right. I should not have social media because that's the way where people contact me. It's the only way they can. They don't have my phone number, but they can contact you on social media. Mm. And they message you, what are you doing? Can I come out? And sometimes that boredom to you goes, maybe I should. And then go, oh, no, no, no. Reverse back, I can't go there because what's going to happen if I go there? Mm. Do you message or do you contact back? Like, do you oh, me- I'll talk. I talk to some people still. Um, but it's a very fine line. I, I, you tread very, you know, you're on a tightrope. You've got to be very careful. It's, um, I don't recommend it for everyone. Not everyone can do it. Mm. Um, I truly believe, even for myself, like you should cut yourself, cut it completely. You need to cut the cord completely. That's probably my, you know, mind, back of my mind, like, you know, who knows? I think to myself, it's um, it's been 12 months. Tomorrow might be a bad day. That's why I keep my contact. It's silly. It's me still dealing with addiction. Yeah. Not letting it go totally. Hmm. Is there anything that you can turn your addiction into that's a, a good thing? <laughs> I try, I try, I try, I try. So I go to the gym all the time. I do all those sort of things, you know. Yeah. Um, but it's, yeah, it's it's hard. You yeah. know, I like to hear what's going on sometimes, you know. Hear the stories and I think, wow. Yeah. Thank God I'm not Thank there Thank God. I, I, it's exact, <laughs> that is exactly right. I think to myself, do I actually believe these stories that I used to tell when I was mm. off my head? Because they don't make any sense. Mm. When you're straight, the stories make no sense whatsoever. I'm like, wow, <laughs> what happened? But, so as, as someone that's, um, yeah, I guess you've worked in community services and you've also had the experience that we've just talked about. What do you see that needs to change or needs to be added to our, to our I guess, healthcare system, justice system? I think it's really, really hard. I think we're given up on too easily. Yeah. So it's just, they're too hard. It's too hard to push aside. I think, I think we need to try more with people. So I was clean for... 12 months and then they put me in community corrections orders with people that I used to use with to do my hours. You're putting me right back where I was and that's how it, it's happened because I'm going to, every day to next to people that take drugs that I used to take drugs with. Yeah, They don't, I know it's not easy. You can't give everyone different things, but I think they've really got to restructure the whole thing. Your corrections officers got that many people they have to see. They've got like half an hour, once a week of your time. You go in there, they talk to you. They don't really know what's going on. They don't understand that's, anything about your life and then you the officer gets changed because they get moved to another location after you build up rapport with them it's it's really hard it's um i think corrections orders are a big setup for failure 
And once you fail, you think, what's the point? And you just keep going. It's, uh, it's very hard to succeed, especially when you're bat- battling homelessness, drug addiction, mental health issues. It's, it's a big, all these things come hand in hand once you get on, get on drugs. It's just mm. the way it is. Mm. What was something that, uh, did, was there anything that like stood out and helped helped you at your time? I'll be quite honest. If I didn't have my partner at the time who worked and had an income and you know was able to support us financially, I don't know if I ever would have got out. Yeah. It was having that support of someone that can look after you financially so you don't have to worry mm. and you can go do the things you have to do. It's, you know, most people don't have that. They don't have a car to get to an appointment. They don't have, you know, all those simple things that we take advantage for. You don't have it when you're on drugs. Yeah. So you miss your appointments. You think, oh, stuff it now, I've stuffed it. It's it, it, it's so hard. It, everything seems like such an effort, you know. You go, I'm not going to miss my 9 o'clock appointment. So you stay awake all night and then what do you do? Fall asleep at 8 o'clock. Mm. <laughs> It's just, you know, you're trying to do the right things. Your intentions are good, but it just doesn't happen. Mm. It's impossible when you're on drugs. Yeah. Yeah. I think you make a really good other points because, uh, you know, working with people in the system as well, like it is very common. And I think you're right about the um, corrections. Like they have massive workloads and, and mm. they they want to help. Like the people there, you know, they generally the- really want to help you, but they just, it's it's hard for them because, as you say, there's so many people. They go and do the right thing. They get a full-time job, but they mm. still want them to do their, their community work. It's not possible. Like, how are you going to do all those hours in such short time if you've got one day a week off, you're going to do community work? They've got to, I think the orders really need to go by each individual. Yep. I know it sounds, it's probably impossible, but I think it really does. And as people could progress and become further, then it can change, you know, mold around them a bit more, be a bit more. Yeah. I think that's a good point. I think um, it's trying to be flexible and adapting with it. I know because they're a social enterprise rebuild, like we have young people that will be on um, various orders. And as an employer, we're okay with that. So we can make the time for them to go to their orders. And that's one of the parts that, you know, they people really struggle to hold down a full-time, especially a full-time job. You're right, um, Rebecca, because um, it's hard to make all your appointments and do your job and, and have an employer that supports that as well. Um, and that's why we have a social enterprise that does that for that reason. One of the biggest reasons was that, that we could do that for them as well. And we know where they're going and we can give them time off work and they don't feel pressure. And they don't, it doesn't build to their anxiety one extra thing, you know, um, as and well. And it does. I'm telling you, when you've got a job and you've got to go to an appointment, they're like, how do you tell them I've got to have another day mm. off? Like, how do you tell them? And you end up just missing your appointments because it's just easier. And then it ends up not working out well. It's a good point. I think it's something that could be, you know, probably does need to be looked at as well. And, and as you say, it's, it's individual cases. I know it's difficult for corrections. I know that they want people to succeed because that's what they're there for. Yes. You know, they want their workloads to decrease, not increase. But I think, yeah, there probably is a little bit of a, a way of looking at that going forward. Um, so it can kind of be a bit more of an, a, a flexible kind of model. People need to have their appointments. They need to do the stuff. But how do you work around do it? I ask this question at the end of every interview um, of everyone. So when you were younger, um, you were a kid or whatever, like what did you want to be when you grew up? I had no, I was not one of those kids that I wanted to be a nurse. Or I, I had no idea, to be honest. Yeah? I never thought I wanted to, yeah. I was, I don't know, I was, I was one of those kids who just went with the flow. Yeah. I had no idea, like, yeah. But yeah, sometimes I say I'd be a lawyer, but I never really wanted to be a lawyer, to be honest. I Studied know. it, but never wanted to be it. Yeah, never wanted to be it. I just, I don't know. I was one of those kids, that just, yeah. Didn't have a destination. Maybe that was the problem. I don't know. We've had that a few times. I, I wing it too much. That's what you know. Just but you're still on that. You still on that. You have no destination still at the moment. Yeah, still no so. destination. It'd be harder to get to that destination if you were continuing to do what you do. 
So you're probably part of the way there, you know, and, um, you know, you probably don't need to put as much pressure on yourself. as well. That- I find that's the thing too. If my thing is if I'm like thinking I want to be somewhere, I really want to get there. And if I don't, I, just, I feel like I'm failing and better if I just... Yeah. Just, just get better that's all that matters well that's, that's what you're doing you're consistently doing that every day you're being better for yourself you're being better for your your, your son your family as well so when I'm ready to move to the next stage I'll it, make that decision yeah it might yeah, just it, it might just present itself you know but if you keep doing what you're doing then you're obviously putting yourself in a good position so yeah. when it happens to be able to take that opportunity as well so definitely thank you so much for your time no, today you. it's been um, massively insightful and, and uh, I know you've been so honest and, and, and have given us a real different side of of life that you've had and I'm sure it will help others um, who are in similar positions or who have family members that are in similar positions as well and and you really demonstrate that you know you keep you keep going um, and you can change and you are in a job you've been employed people know about your record like these are things that people just don't feel that they can do because they go that they'll never employ me they'll never understand but you're actually proven that you know employers will give you an opportunity you can get clean you can keep working on yourself it's never too late as well so um wish you nothing but the very best in your life going forward and uh, hope everything comes the way you want it to come and 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 you get to you know find that destination hopefully one day soon (laughs) yeah well thanks so much Rebecca thank you next week on a time to rebuild I look through there and I look at, at the sky and I'm like, what am I doing in here? You know, and then from there, it's just like, all right, you need to change your ways. And, you know, I didn't know I was doing five years at the time. I thought I was only going to do 18 months, two years or something and get out. And, um, you know, then from there, I just started just thinking, all right, I need to change. I need to, you know, start doing the right thing. And If anything in today's episode has raised any issues for you or someone you know, head over to our website for a full list of services that may help at ymcarebuild.org.au under the podcast tab. A way of helping us is to subscribe, share with friends and leave a review. If you want to take that next step, hit up our online store where you can purchase handcrafted wooden products. If you're sitting there going, I want to do everything I can, Get a quote for facility maintenance needs at your business. We're on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and our website, www.ymcarebuild.org.au. This podcast was produced by Mick Cronin and Mark Wilson. Editing done by Mark Wilson.